Hello, this is a new episode for our podcast series of Synopsis, which is a meta research unit at the University of Cyprus. And we have the great pleasure of having uh, George Nikolopoulos with us, who is an associate professor of epidemiology and uh, public uh, policy at the University of Cyprus. And uh, our first question, as usual, would be, uh, George, if you would like to tell us a few things about yourself, uh, about your interest in uh, uh, science. In some sense, we would like to hear where you are coming from and uh, where you are going in terms of your uh, general interest and how you would uh, sort of uh, identify yourself. <laughs> okay. Zacharia, thank you very much for uh, this uh, kind invitation. It's, um, it's a pleasure, really, to, to be here with you to discuss about uh, my interest, but also our common interests in uh, how we can uh, conduct research better. As you said, I am an associate professor of epidemiology and public health um, here at the Medical School of the University of Cyprus. My background, actually my first degree is uh, in dentistry. Then I obtained a master's degree in biostatistics from the Medical School of uh, the University of Athens. And then I earned a PhD degree in um, the epidemiology of infectious diseases mm -hmm. with uh, an emphasis on um, chronic infectious diseases with high public health impact. Um, these are HIV and hepatitis B, actually. It was about um, the impact of co-infections on uh, mortality of people with HIV. And uh, I also got postdoctoral training in the United States, in New York, uh, and my focus there was on um, the sociology and epidemiology of HIV spread among mm -hmm. vulnerable groups like people who inject drugs in periods of um, social and economic uh, turmoil mm -hmm. like the one we experienced in Greece between uh, 2009 and 2015. So my main interest is in the epidemiology and the public health impact of infectious diseases But also, and this um, experience started approximately 20 years ago, I am mm -hmm. very much interested in systematic reviews and meta-analysis. So I have uh, experience and I have also conducted research um, in all aspects of systematic reviews and meta-analysis, starting from developing new methods to uh, developing software for um, meta-analysis commands uh, and uh, also using advanced uh, methods including uh, network meta-analysis, uh, umbrella reviews uh, and so on. Brilliant. Uh, thank you so much. So, uh, drawing from your last point, I first need to express my pleasure uh, when I discuss about issues with meta-research with people from myomedicine because in some sense uh, you're my heroes for a good reason. How I view it is that what you're doing has very high stakes. I mean, you are dealing with people with uh, HIV, so it's a matter of life and death. And as a lesson to the rest of us scientists, I feel that some of your practices echo how big the stakes are and how serious you take research. 
without saying that you are without without flaws. But some of your research tradition has um, reflected this seriousness in, uh, for instance, uh, giving great emphasis in the how we summarize the, from the totality of the evidence that we have, how we care about the quality of uh, the overall evidence that we have, how we can safeguard the peer review process itself. Um, so uh, for me, being drawn into the area of what I call uh, meta-research, the key contributions were from, uh, from, from uh, biomedicine. And um, a couple of decades ago, maybe approximately uh, 15 years ago, uh, there was a very active discussion, and that was when I was drawn into, into meta-research about the so-called credibility uh, problem of uh, uh, science. There was a little bit of this, and it, it uh, followed with a lot of uh, new uh, initiatives and, uh, and changes. Uh, so, how would I? Uh, how would you feel that you you experienced such a uh, such a discussion? Was it uh, uh, very active? Did it uh, affect the way that people uh, were um, attracted to um, you know thinking more about methodology, more about uh, meta analysis, or? Um, you feel that this was uh, more of a uh, discussion from uh, fr from the outside, but uh, the biomedicine field kind of had you know a linear progress towards this uh, this interest in in this in this kind of methodologies of uh, meta analysis uh, science for uh, studying science. What would you say? So you're talking about uh, the bio, the biomedical field. Yes, yes, the biomedical field uh, per se. Was there sort of a widespread discussion about a, a problem, or, or maybe not so? I think these uh, discussions about um, the the soundness of um, methodology used in um, science and research. Um, affects um, every field of um, of science including of course the the medical and generally the biomedical field my experience is um, that um, starting from the early 2000 as a young researcher then is that before that i mean uh, in the 80s in the, in the 70s uh, the biomedical field was dominated by experts' opinion, um, which sometimes is sound, but um, on the other hand, it is not based on uh, on evidence from uh, from research. And um, I don't know if you are aware of this fact: uh, the term meta-analysis and the methodology of meta-analysis meta started in the field of psychology. Um, I think the name of uh, the scientist was Jean Glass, mm -hmm. who was um, an applied psychologist, an educational psychologist, who was disappointed mm -hmm. by the fact that, you know, 
mainstream therapies were based on experts' opinion and less on evidence. So he developed the method, he coined the term meta-analysis, an analysis that comes after primary research mm-hmm. to support the, the field, the scientific field. So this um, tendency to, to explore the quality of scientific methods was transferred to, to the medical field mm-hmm. in the 80s, in the 90s, um, randomized clinical trials, which is uh, perhaps the, the best research design used in, uh, in, in medicine, was um, um, used extensively in the field. I, uh, to, to take decisions about uh, the safety and effectiveness of uh, medicines or other interventions. And uh, at the same time, in the 90s, and especially in the early two, 2000s, there were uh, discussions about how to meta-analyze research. And um, systematic reviews and meta-analysis are important not only because they provide us with an overall estimate of the effect of an intervention, of a medical intervention, mm-hmm. but perhaps the most important thing is that it helps us understand why uh, studies differ, mm-hmm. what is the reason of their heterogeneity. So starting in early 2000, my experience as a scientist, I am not a clinician, I am not in the clinical field, but I am close to that. And mm-hmm. of course, epidemiology and public health uh, are around the the medical field is that there was genuine interest in uh, using systematic reviews and meta-analysis to inform um, policy making, to to understand why uh, research um, does not perform well and how to to improve research. So certainly there is discussion in the biomedical field about how to improve research methodology. Thank you. And uh, following up from uh, uh, from this fact, the the interest from uh, uh, domains such as uh, uh, the biomedical field and uh, more recently uh, social science, behavioral sciences in uh, meta-analysis, an appropriate summary of what we know. Uh, obviously, society is interested in in all that. In that. Uh, we are able to make a correct assessment of our state of knowledge in order to basically change our lives, in order to apply it for policy. So the discussion that we are having so far regarding the methodologies that safeguard uh, the soundness of what we are doing and uh, uh, getting appropriate um, understanding and summary of, of what we know uh, are also crucial for the appropriate application of uh, scientific insights for policy. And uh, this is where we would be particularly uh, interested to hear your uh, um, involvement in this uh, sort of uh, um, uh, policy advice in a, in a crucial period during uh, COVID. And... Uh, uh, especially to hear your view about the the difficulties in translating uh, scientific knowledge into policy, the difficulties in um, convincing policymakers about the relevance of studies, the difficulties into scaling up small-scale 
um, uh, interventions as we do it in science into large-scale interventions in in policy. So I'm uh, hugely interested is interested to hear to hear uh, you, you insights from your experience. Yes, um, certainly it was really a great experience for me. I mean, the, the last three years during the, the pandemic because I was invited by the Ministry of Health here in Cyprus along with other scientists in the field, in the field of uh, medicine and uh, infectious diseases and epidemiology to advise on uh, support measures, on containment measures and other policy interventions that uh, you know were needed to to stop uh, or uh, control the transmission of the new virus mm -hmm. it was uh, a great experience for everyone i think because uh, it is not uh, very often that we uh, face uh, pandemics uh, or public health emergencies uh, of that scale and uh, although I was involved in the management of uh, the previous pandemic, of the influenza pandemic of 2009, mm -hmm. or uh, I was involved in uh, outbreaks of infectious diseases like HIV in people who inject drugs in Athens, Greece, that was really uh, unique. So, um, at first, I think, you know, the, the policy makers um, were seeking our advice and I think this happened everywhere mm -hmm. because the event was unique. We were not aware of, of the outcomes or how severe the outcomes could be. So we established a good relationship with um, the policy makers. The difficult thing was of course to explain in, uh, in lay words uh, mm -hmm. what the situation was. Uh, why it was important and uh, what the outcomes of the recommended measures would be. But I think over time we, we managed to, to achieve that and uh, to be honest without uh, you know, any intention to, to flatter here the, the two ministers I collaborated with. In Cyprus we were, let's say, lucky because they were uh, people with open ears to, to hear, I mean, the, the two ministers. And um, they were also um, willing to, to hear and to, to, to use our advice to, to inform their, their policy. Something that we should make clear here is that science should not replace the democratic policy-making uh, system because there were voices uh, who said... Uh, you know, the um, politicians should follow exactly what the scientists uh, say. That is wrong because we live in uh, um, democratic um, um, systems and people are elected to represent us and to take decisions, taking into consideration all the aspects of economic, uh, social life and, and so on. So I think the, the important thing for, um, for scientists is to give their advice, to, to give their advice based on uh, sound evidence or at least to 
the best evidence that is available at the moment and the policy makers should consider it but also taking into consideration all the other aspects that scientists are not necessarily trained to, to provide advice um, about it. So in general, my experience here in Cyprus was good, I would say, that early we established a good relationship, that policymakers were willing to, to hear, and uh, we tried, as members of the scientific committee, to provide the best evidence available. Of course, there were flaws. Of course, there was lack of uh, evidence for uh, some of these decisions or the best evidence and there are thoughts how to, to improve the, the process in, in the future. But in general, in Cyprus, I think the, the collaboration was, uh, was nice with weaknesses and problems, but um, I think the experience was good. Oh, thank you so much. And following up on your, uh, uh, on, on your, on your view about um, you know the the ultimate decision maker being the politician as a representative of uh, uh, of the people. Uh, let me just echo this uh, uh, statement by saying that social scientists um, usually view things uh, explicitly from two different perspectives: the positive and the normative. And uh, in some sense, the the positive is where science goes in in exploring the relationship between phenomena. If you do this this is going to be most likely outcome so this is uh, roughly speaking the role of the of the scientist but ultimately uh, exploring these uh, mechanisms uh, into a, a final outcome in other words in the end what do we want to achieve after understanding of these laws of nature that's a question that is normative that should come from uh, the people with democratic pro uh, processes and you know maybe scientists or if you wish uh, philosophers uh, have uh, a role there into helping people and uh, uh, educate them to uh, make appropriate choices but not obviously to, to, to answer the, the, the questions on, uh, uh, on your behalf. But um, again following up from uh, something that you, uh, th that you just said uh, about what uh, scientists should be doing. This this coronavirus era was pretty challenging in that uh, um, it seemed that scientists should be very careful in how they uh, express their views. Many scientists were heavily criticized as uh, misleading the public, other scientists as not being uh, responsible. Uh, I understand this is a very difficult question and I'm interested in it in, in the sense of maybe uh, generating some discussion and some uh, thoughts for uh, how we should think about this, uh, this problem. Uh, you just said very interestingly that we are not trained necessarily as scientists to communicate to the, uh, to the public. So I would say that each one of us, when faced in a situation like, like yours, would just have to, to have a personal philosophy about how to communicate. What was your, uh, your approach? And in general, what do you think about this, uh, this issue of uh, responsible communication in science? 
Okay, very good point, Zaharia. This is something actually that I've been thinking over these years and uh, I continue to think what is the best approach. First of all, in terms of um, scientists, I think they should be free to express their scientific opinion. Now, there is one issue here. When uh, a scientist belongs to a certain scientific committee that has been appointed to advise the policy-making system in a particular setting. Now things become a little bit complicated because scientists do not always happen to fully agree. So the decisions are not always unanimous and this is, um, let's say, healthy to to get different views and then to decide on which is the best approach to to a certain problem. However, when you are a member of a scientific committee, there is, let's say, an issue about how to communicate the decisions of the committee or your personal opinions, which might be a bit different to the public, because it is very important to make sure that uh, as scientists, and especially as scientists belonging to a scientific committee, do not uh, confuse the public. So, for me, I think the best thing would be, if you are a member of a scientific committee, to express your scientific opinion during the the meeting and the minutes of the minute should be transparent and public mm-hmm. where people could follow the the recommendations and how the final decision was made mm-hmm. then the communication of the final decision should be either from the policy making system or from one representative of this committee. If as a scientist you are a member of a committee and you find that the the discussions during the meetings or the final decisions Mm -hmm. are far from your point of views or your ethical code, then you have any right to, to resign and to express your disagreement openly to, to the public. So I think for scientists, the basic principle is, yes, we are free to express our scientific opinion, which should be evidence-based or based on our long-term experience and expertise. However, when we are um, members of, of a committee and there are certain obligations with the policy making system we have to take into account these these issues um, the problems the communication problems that may arise if we agree on a, on a decision but then publicly we do not support this decision mm-hmm. getting back into uh, something very important you said the concept of confusing the public um, it's very uh, important and challenging to uh, to think to think about uh, how the average uh, person in uh, in our democracies views science. 
does it really do does the public really understand science for what it is or does it um, elevate it to a you know to a status of some kind of uh, uh, greater infallible uh, authority that it uh, truly is maybe because of uh, a deep need to, uh, to 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 do so as uh, as as a, as a, as a, as a a human society. So oftentimes I am a little bit uh, saddened during the the COVID when uh, uh, scientists were criticized for allegedly being inconsistent is that before you were telling us we should be using masks, now you're telling us that you shouldn't. So it seems maybe, maybe there's a little bit of a distorted or immature view that's that might be my impression and it's worth discussing about what scientist is and uh, science is and uh, what uh, scientific findings mean uh, and uh, um, you know also about uncertainty in science uh, how we should be uh, conveying uh, you know uncertainty in, in our estimates that's another big uh, issue especially for uh, social scientists and macroeconomic models but let's not um, get into that. What is what is your view about these uh, um, these 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 concerns? Uh, whether the public uh, is realistic about what uh, science can do? Big issue, and um, I feel that the the increasing trends in um, of of mistrust, let's say, among the public is probably, although I have not done any serious research or research on that, or I am not an expert in, uh, in communication, but I think what we saw, I mean, th this mistrust among the public was uh, the result uh, of communication failure and a, a problem about understanding of science among the, the lay public. So the problem concerning the latter is um, deeper and has to do with the training, the basic training we receive uh, uh, during school about science and mm -hmm. scientific methods. Mm -hmm. What is science? I mean, there is something we do not know. We formulate a hypothesis and then we design our efforts uh, to give an answer to confirm or reject this hypothesis and then we reach a conclusion which stands for the moment because <laughs> if new evidence comes in the future then we can um, um, reject our previously accepted hypothesis. So this is very important to, to, to make sure that during school years all people are trained to, to understand the basics about scientific method. And then, um, in terms of public health and this kind of events, it is very important to communicate science in the right way. Perhaps uh, the, the first um, error that we committed as scientists was that we were not clear that this is a moving, a changing mm -hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. So something that we suggest now perhaps will not be valid in, in the future. 
so to to convey the message of uncertainty from the first time mm-hmm. um which is uh, very important and the second was that uh, especially myself and others because i feel that i have committed the same error um we had to be very very careful in terms of our public appearances mm-hmm. um, it happened to uh, to be the case uh, when you know uh, every single day you know there were multiple appearances um, on on the media mm-hmm. so this increases the likelihood of saying something wrong or saying something that contradicts something you you said the previous day and so on so that's why it is very important to have a communication strategy that covers the way scientists who officially, formally belong to advisory, scientific committees, to to follow certain rules about um, communication. So, in order to to conclude, I think we have to, to improve both the communication strategy at the public health level and also to improve training of all people on uh, scientific methodology and the uncertainty in science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a, a great point and uh, it's uh, uh, de- def- definitely shared. Maybe, as, as we, we said before, combined to some sort of better understanding from the perspective of scientists, and may- maybe more systematic scientists, maybe more systematic about how we should be uh, communicating. Um, so, uh, approaching uh, towards the, the, the end of today's uh, uh, discussion, uh, and since our um, meta-research unit synopsis is uh, interdisciplinary and meta-research is an interdisciplinary field, roughly speaking, it is a field that studies how uh, to improve science and to make it more useful for uh, for society and obviously this is a question shared by uh, every scientific field and that's what brings together researchers from uh, 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 different areas uh, how would you reflect from your personal experience about the importance of uh, interdisciplinary research and uh, the capacity of uh, scientists from different areas to to communicate and uh, find a common language Yes, this is very important. I mean, uh, in our days, interdisciplinarity in in science is a must. And um, it is very important to to make sure that scientists from different fields understand each other and uh, come together to to bring their uh, own unique experiences and knowledge from their fields uh, in order to um, start something I think innovative Mm. that would cover um, many areas and this uh, became evident during the the COVID Mm -hmm. pandemic because as an epidemiologist uh, I thought that okay I am the one who knows about uh, transmission of, uh, of diseases, about uh, spread and so on. But then I realized that perhaps physicists or um, engineers understand better how 
for example, uh, a viral pathogen could be uh, transmitted um, in the air. Mm-hmm. So I soon realized that perhaps these are the, the experts uh, and uh, mm-hmm. our collaboration uh, will uh, increase our understanding of um, COVID-19 transmission. And uh, I had other experience from uh, my own field, uh, the field of HIV. One of um, the innovative uh, prevention approaches uh, in in HIV was uh, one that was based uh, on using social networks to diffuse information about HIV transmission. And this was something that was brought uh, in the HIV field uh, from sociologists. Mm-hmm. So good sociologists uh, share their experiences with uh, HIV epidemiologists and clinicians in the mid-80s and 90s and performed some wonderful social network-based studies in the field. So for sure, interdisciplinarity is uh, very important and I think is... Uh, a basic step uh, forward to to advancing the quality of um, of research because also about uh, you know um, positive criticism of our work if someone who is not uh, you know deeply involved uh, mm-hmm. in a field uh, without stake yes without stake without prejudice without bias perhaps that person would be a, a good advisor who would help us in improve our work. So interdisciplinarity is, uh, is a must, I fully agree. Uh, excellent point. So looking a little bit uh, back in your, in your career, in your achievements in uh, uh, scientifically and also, you know, helping with uh, important uh, uh, policy problems, would you say that uh, you have uh, maybe one regret and one particular joy that you would like to to share with us uh, potentially yes um <sighs> perhaps uh, there are many moments that i felt um let's say happy or um um other times that i had let's say bad feelings um mm-hmm. in general i i feel that um um over the last 3 years that was um a nice moment of my life because i felt that i somehow used uh, the experience and knowledge uh, accumulated over uh, the years to support the decision making system of of this country i'm not from cyprus i am from greece but of course i i feel um, i have emotions and i feel the, the connections between uh, the uh, the two peoples i mean we have men in common so that was really nice for mm-hmm. me that mm-hmm. i used this experience and knowledge to support the decision making system in another country that is very close to uh, to, to me and of course i i live here Perhaps, um, as I, I said, uh, the, the regrets are um, about things that could have been better uh, here during um, mm-hmm. uh, these um, years. Um, I, I told you, for example, that uh, I regretted my very 
frequent appearances uh, on the media because sometimes this might contribute it to mm -hmm. uh, to the increased confusion so if I was to to come back perhaps uh, I would uh, strongly advocate for better communication strategy mm -hmm. so perhaps these are two things that come now in, uh, in my mind uh, perhaps there are more but I think since we discussed about uh, this period uh, I think that uh, these two come now in my mind in terms of uh, you know what made me happier and uh, what uh, made me sad so George thank you so much for your for your presence uh, with us uh, I'm particularly happy again for being able to speak with a person from the biomedical community, getting a different uh, viewpoints on issues that we have been looking from the uh, social science perspective. And uh, um, hopefully the insights that we that we get from uh, from this podcast uh, will give us food for thought for maybe uh, exploring those in uh, using the scientific method itself. Uh, uh, once more, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for uh, the invitation, Zacharia, and um, congratulations for the nice work you have been doing with your colleagues here at the university. And it's always a, a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you very much. <laughs>